Kia ora. I'm Alicia Wilson-Hetty from Te Taumata Tuia Ibi, Auckland's Regional Arts Trust. You're listening to Creative Capital, a podcast about advocacy and systems change. We're exploring the role that arts, creativity and culture play in Tamaki Makoto, with a focus on the people behind the work and their vision for the future. We hope these conversations are a simple way for us to come together as advocates and artists to navigate 2023 and beyond. This week, I'm joined by Zoe Black and Jade Townsend. Zoe Black is the Deputy Director of Object Space in Auckland, Aotearoa, New Zealand. She has been working in galleries for the past 10 years. Her curatorial practice has focused on community development and advocating for critically underrepresented craft and object art forms. Jade Townsend is a visual artist and storyteller working at the intersection of her Māori, Pākehā and British heritage. She co-directs Season Gallery in Tamaki Makoto with Francis McFunnell. The gallery places a strong emphasis on curated exhibitions and public engagement. I am joined in the studio by two phenomenal wahine this morning and a gorgeous little bubba, which is quite nice to have that energy in the room. I'm going to get you both to introduce yourself. So Zoe, if I could get you to introduce yourself, please. Kia ora. Um, ko Zoe Black Tokowingwa. Uh, I am the Deputy Director at Object Space and we're a public gallery that looks at craft, architecture and design. Been there for about four years, um, but within gallery spaces, I think now 10 years, um, and before that, I was a, a teacher. And my whakapapa, um, my whakapapa to the north, um, to Awaroa, was where my whanau's from, Ngāpui Ngātihine, on my dad's side and on my mum's side, I whakapapa to England. Beautiful. Thank you, Zoe. Jade, could I get you to introduce yourself, please? Kia ora. Called Jade Townsend Tōkawingoa. Um, I am Wahine Māori. I come from Whanganui. I whakapapa to the Whanganui Awa in Ranana Marae. And interestingly, Ranana translates to London. And my mum is British. Um, and say my other Awa is the Mersey River, which is in Liverpool. Um, I'm an artist. I have a fine arts degree from Manchester Metropolitan University. And I have gone on to sort of work with um, luxury brands. I've worked in film. I have been a poor artist, still kind of am. And I co-direct a gallery called Season, which is in Tamaki, Makoto. Kia ora. So... Yeah, as I as I mentioned pre-recording, this um, these corridor, uh, I, I have some provocation that I kind of lean into, and then we'll pick up on different things that come through. And you're both incredible wahine Māori, and I just wanted to put the provocation on the table around what does Indigenous creative practice mean to you? Um, and yeah, I'll let that just land on the table and feel free to respond to that how you see fit. Gosh, um, I, I, think, I think that's a really difficult question to tackle because yeah. it can look like anything. And I think sometimes when we consider, um, like I'm doing a, I'm working on an exhibition at the moment that considers... Māori design, in air quotes, um, 
And a lot of the corridor that we've been having with designers is that there's an aesthetic that goes along with what Māori design looks like. Yeah. And that filters through to a lot of creative practice um, in terms of how visually you can define it. But I really um, resist those uh, visual kind of classifications that go along with a lot of the way in which people interpret um, indigenous creative practice because I see it and with the beautiful artists and creatives that I work with it to be anything it to be yeah. just how how we express ourselves and while considering whakapapa first and foremost I think that's the way that I see it yeah totally thank mm. you Zoe um yeah it is massive um it's a massive question and I kind of feel I feel differently about my relationship to my identity every day. Yeah. So it's kind of, um, I think practicing as an indigenous artist, I feel like I have a, a lot of, pre I put a lot of pressure on myself. I feel like I'm accountable to a range of communities, yeah. um, both Māori and non-Māori. I'm accountable to my heroes, the artists that I look up to, my mentors. Um, but I also feel a responsibility to the audience um, in terms of my generosity and warmth and expressing the stories that I am wanting to uplift. So it's yeah. a really complex scene of translations and um, exchange that happens within the practice. But... Um, I think in terms of facilitating other Indigenous artists when we have exhibitions at the gallery, um, there's, there isn't one artist um, that we've worked with that wants to be considered in a kind of individual way. You know, yeah. they arrive with their relationships, their whakapapa, um, they arrive with their stories from their hapu, from their iwi. So um, there's a bigger kind of care and engagement from a facilitator's perspective as well so um yeah it's a very it's nourishing but it's a different type of work that cultural labor emotional labor yeah um and and there's this kind of pressure that I put on myself as a curator or an artist to kind of get that right which is kind of ridiculous because you can't get it wrong if the relationships are in the right place yeah know. So I suppose considering that and thinking about um, intrinsically, I think, when I think of what that means as, as Indigenous um, practitioners and how we show up in space for one another and how we hold space for one another, it's intrinsically collective practice. So what does, when you're considering that in the work and how you hold space for people, what does the um, community or collective care of that mahi look like to you as as individuals? I think it's it's all about seeing seeing who people are and trying to do the best you can to make that space comfortable, nourishing, and safe for them to express themselves in the way that they want to. Yeah, and that looks really different for everybody. Yeah, we went through. When I first started Object Space, we were um, looking at how we can 
kind of shifts the organisation to be more reflective of Māori making practices, of making practices from around Moana Oceania. And we went through this whole big, um, really, really fruitful, but really uh, laborious sort of um, process of thinking about how we create policy around that. And then at the end, we brought together these beautiful people that were, you know, incredible thinkers in this sort of way. And at the end of it, we realised there's really no checklist you can ever put together that can tell you how to do this sort of work. You, there's no document, one document that's going to fit any single um, experience or artist or collective that comes into your space. It's really just being open to understanding and having a completely sort of blank slate that you can help mould and facilitate for the needs of that person or collective that are coming in. And I think that's potentially why some really large organisations aren't well, aren't able to do it um, in kind of an authentic way because it sometimes reverts back to process or reverts back to policy. And yeah. I truly believe that there's really no checklist that you can put together <laughs> to tell you how to do that sort of work. It has to be intuitive and you have to... Um, just be open to being malleable and having things not go to that process because yeah. it it has to be different for every single person that walks through your door walks through your door and you have to be really open to that. Yeah, I think on that Zoe because I love object space. It has such a beautiful homely kind of feel to it and the way in which the team there. Um, facilitate community in that space feels really fruitful and nourishing so thank you for saying that I was just yeah I was reflecting on that the other day um of when we have shared space and in, in object space and it it feeling like a really warm hug yeah and I, I wanted to make a point of saying that to you because I think that's a real um gift being able to hold space for community that way and spaces that I think probably traditionally have felt quite sterile for mm. our communities to enter and what does that look like and how do you start to move that so that it does feel like you can enter that in your fullness mm. and be welcomed in a really beautiful way. Jade, did you want to add to that? Um, I absolutely total that about object space and, and, and the way that you um, support artists and make connections for artists on their behalf. Zoe has introduced me to so many um, beautiful thinkers and makers and people who are contributing so much to the arts in, in a multiplicity of ways. Um, I mean, I learn most about facilitating and relationships probably through my son's kōhanga. And, you know, when he was little... Before he was speaking, you know, there was concern around his communication. And so when he started Kohanga, you know, immediately we were kind of offered this alternative, although it should just, just be the way that we interact with children, but this approach to kind of look at all the different ways that he was expressing himself and through dance, um, through drawing, through his body, through his affection. And I think... It's um, exactly the same for when you're working with artists. It's just looking at all the ways that they're sharing their identity and their love with you um, and making sure that you're allowing the time and space for 
that nurturing to happen. Um, and it's the most rewarding, beautiful way to um, exist as Māori with each other. Um, and it comes naturally to, you know, some people more than others. But I know I learned the most from, from my son's kaiako um, about that. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. You're both such incredible holders of space and leaders within our arts ecosystem. As we navigate into Matariki, a time of reflection, how do you take care of yourselves? Big question, I know, but I've been really considering wellness, especially at this time of the year, and so I just thought it would be a nice opportunity to do that reflecting together. Um, Jade and I have had a few conversations about this because you know over the past few years it's been so exciting to see all the celebration and all the the um, energy and spotlight go on Māori practitioners around Matariki and I feel you know it's been an absolute joy to see Māori um, artists to be really uplifted during this time and um, all these different opportunities come for people to understand what Māori creatives do but at the same time, Matariki is a time for resting. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we've been kind of wrestling with how do we celebrate Matariki um, and, and give artists opportunities if they arise while also honouring the fact that it is a time for rest and it's a, it's meant to be a time for us to, to settle, to remember, to be together, to eat and to... Um, share space in a really relaxed sort of way and the past few years have been amazing um, for all of this energy and stuff but very much not for resting <laughs> and so yeah. Um, yeah we've got this this big Māori kaupapa coming into object space around Matariki but we've really firmly decided that for one or two weeks we're going to not do any programming and vocally talk about the fact that we want to celebrate Māori creatives all year round and we do and we really firmly want to spend the time during Matariki to rest and so um, I've been really grateful to my colleagues to um, for being able to take this on board and just be like yeah we're just going to stop for a minute and actually proactively rest and so that's what we're going to be doing. Amazing. I think Avery agreed with you. Yeah, Avery. That. Jade, what what about you? How do you keep yourself well? What does yeah, that look like? Um, I mean, I have a few friends. Is always one of my my closest friends, and is someone who I um, kind of always seek counsel on when it comes to really intense times in my life, professionally or um, otherwise, and. And uh, Zoe has encouraged me a lot this year to kind of reimagine Matariki for myself um, as a more sustainable way of existing as a, 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 a um, and thriving as a Māori artist. Because, I, I, you know, across the last couple of years, seeing gaps in um, programming or seeing gaps in galleries and um, and seeing opportunities for artists has meant that I'm now sort of facilitating so much that it's a real juggle. Um, and so we are doing an incredible exhibition with Maungurungo Tekawa at season because he asked for it. And of course, you know, Ron, Ron should have that slot. Um, so that's a six week exhibition, but we're not doing any programming with it. 
Um, and I think I'm going to try and get home to my sister and go and see my nana yeah. and just get out of the city. And I'm going on a wānanga to Māori land with some other Māori curators. Amazing. So I'm actually being invited into someone else's kaupapa this year, which feels um, really cosmic and exactly what I need, um, which is a different type of work. Rather than holding space, I'll be sharing space, which is really, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Well, as your friend, I really love that you're having that opportunity to fill your cup. Yeah. And I think that's something I've been um, just reflecting on Matariki and the level of labour, I think, that we have expected from our Māori practitioners during this time. Um, having come from the queer community and really seeing how that has been quite a similar dynamic in the pride space, that come February, exactly, yeah. people are like, okay. So this is meant to be a time for you to do reflecting and community gathering. And now we want you to do 500 things and go. And I think there's a real similarity of how that's crossed over into Matariki and our expectation of Māori practitioners. And I think we have such an exciting opportunity to go, well, what does it actually mean to sit in that? And how do we foster an environment for our practitioners to stop and pause and reflect and remember and what does that look like and how do we actually consciously as a ecosystem go well what does it mean to create space for Māori practitioners outside of Matariki and not expecting people to like just be on the entire time that feels far more meaningful and interesting to me than being like, okay, and now do all the Māori stuff in Matariki, go, <laughs> like yesterday, 500 things. It feels too much. So I'm interested in what that could look like for non-Māori to consider as we move into Matariki and what that means for public programming and uh, across the region. Um I wanted to ask Zoe, because I think community development and advocacy really seems to be such a core part of your mahi. Have you seen, as you've been navigating that space in the mahi that you do, have you seen a cultural shift in the course of your career? Do you think there, there, there's a shift happening? What does that look like? It's quite hard to reflect on that because I think I've been shifting at the same time. Yeah. And so... And and obviously when you're in these um, these sort of spaces, you're in a, a little bubble and an echo chamber and also COVID kind of threw a whole bunch of really complex problems into the mix that we were all uh, reflecting on and, and shape-shifting around and, and all of those things. So I think... Um, I think in terms of the work that I've been focusing on, there has been a shift in terms of people's openness to consider different ways of doing things that are maybe outside of the, the normal structure of exhibition making. Um, but at the same time, a lot of that work has been with people that um, have kind of come into new roles or come into new spaces. And so there's new energy around it. And I'm not sure how much of that change has happened in places where those new people have you know aren't yeah but um I mean I think yeah looking at the way in which Matariki has changed um from something that has been you know very um 
widely ignored for a long time and then all of a sudden we're we're in this space where a lot of people understand what it is, want to know more and are also celebrating Māori, te ao Māori um, at a very particular time which is extremely exciting to see. Um, I think, I mean, we've, we've all seen over the past um, year or so a really uh, kind of heartbreaking shift in terms of resourcing and funding available and it's you know really palpable in Tamaki Makoto at the moment um, and so that has been something that has kind of coincided with a lot of new opportunity for for different artists to come into spaces and feel safe to come into spaces but also maybe a lack of resources to do that properly so th there's all these you know there's all these different things kind of in the mix um some that are hugely celebratory and then others that are hard to deal with. Yeah. yeah. What do you think needs to, as we're thinking about that, some of those inequities in funding and the current structure of what that looks like and how artists engage, what do you think needs to actively happen in order for there to be like a more, what's a, what am I trying to say here? What do you think needs to happen so that artists, some of those barriers are removed? What do you, yeah, what are, the, what are the structural barriers that you think need removing or softening in order for artists to be able to be resourced well? That was a bit of a convoluted question, but does that make sense? It does, um, but I, I, I don't know if I have an answer to it, yeah. I'm, I'm afraid. I mean, we've, um, Jade and I were just talking about this um, prior to coming and because we're, um, both Jade and I work with um, Mangaronga Tikawa and um, just the other week we were um, boxing up a few of his new quilts um, to head off to Norway, which is a co-papa that I'm um, working on him, uh, working with him on. And yeah, he we were able to secure a little bit of support for him, and what he did with that support was at, like incredible. His new quilts are just insane and the elevation that has happened from his practice for, with that little bit of support is is massive but um, it's a really complex question yeah. and I think fundamentally um, Jade and I were speaking before is is that they're also a lot not necessarily just with government or with council or you know these big institutional bodies I think that there more needs to be a fundamental mind shift in mm -hmm. terms of how people support artists and what that support looks like and making sure that philanthropy and um, patronage is something that is kind of embedded in us from a much younger age and yeah. is something that is also supportive um, in different sorts of ways and... I think hope if if a lot of those different things were working together, then maybe there could be some respite. But yeah. I don't know if it's um, something that's going to happen in the short term. Yeah, I feel mm. like that's long cultural burn kind of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's something I've been really um, reflecting on and considering as well because our artists are at their best when they can make. And I have been reflecting on and thinking about, man, we have all been moving through quite a um, deficit environment, quite a scarcity of of resource or, or whatever, support, I guess. 
what would it look like if we were in a space of abundance for our practitioners and what would that look like and what would they make if you weren't having to worry about how do I get funding or how do I get this work supported and valued what kind of work would be getting made from our community because you're right when I reflect on the kind of insane dreaming that our artists have and how that manifests into their work and often that's on crumbs <laughs> what would that look like if they were being invested into properly and what would the work look like and I think that's such a yum thought mm. to sit with around well what would that look like if we were to actually have an environment which is well resourced abundant there isn't a scarcity model in which we're working from and what work would get made. That's a really dreamy space to sit in. And I know you both are also dreamers and sit in that space often. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm like, wow, what, what, what would that look like? I don't even know. It'd it's be like, so young. I think there's an expectation that better work would be made, but I think that's, that, that's pretty colonial as well because... Um, you know, earlier in the year when we were working with Ming Ranganui and doing a sort of grant app for her, um, which she was awarded, of course, and she was like, oh my gosh, everyone keeps being like, I guess you're going to be doing this like amazing show that's going to look really yeah. different to all your other shows. And she's like, no, I'm just going to be paying myself to do the work yeah, that totally. I've always done. Yeah. And feeling good about myself, like I'm not giving up something to do this. Yeah do this artwork. Yeah. So I think in the first instance, we just want our artists to feel valuable. Yeah. And um, a lot of encouragement comes from getting paid well, you know, totally. getting paid appropriately. It would be amazing to, to see other artists kind of get healthier yeah. because they're mm. being paid well to live a healthier way of life, you know. Yeah. It's just kind of bare minimum stuff. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's it. I think our practitioners, and I've said this in previous episodes, our practitioners are often conduits for wellness, for community, but how are we keeping our artists well? And, well, we're not. We're not keeping our mm. artists well. So how do what's the shifts that need to happen in a more meaningful way in order to for that to actually happen properly. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I've, I've seen it uh, a little bit with Ron in the way that he's been able to, with a tiny minuscule drop of support, go to such an insane level with his quilts. Um, we unrolled uh, a quilt called Hinata Iwe Iwa, which is in celebration of Hinata Iwe Iwa, the atua of... Uh, childbirth and fiber arts and has been a guiding a guiding light for Ron's practice for for many for his, you know for many years um, through his whole creative um, life and he's it's quite a beautiful um, kind of circle back because one of the first quotes that I saw of his was Hinata Iwa Iwa on a motorbike um, embodied as this like auntie that's on the go needs to get to all the different places and do all of the radical stuff that she needs to do and now he's um, embodied her as this 
just absolutely jaw-dropping, sparkle, shiny, um, effervescent wahine in the sky. And, you know, she's she's absolutely beautiful. I can't wait to release her into Norway. But, um, you know, that that when we unrolled that quilt, it was like this crystal clear example of what can happen when a tiny little bit of support is given to an artist. And yeah. for him, it's like... Um, a respite, you know, like a, a, a sense that he can, there's not, pr- there's not pressure to go and do all the other things to make this one moment in his day available for creating. It's like all of that stuff, all of that burden is kind of taken away and he's able to focus on creating and the magic that happens from that is just wild. So I, I think, you know, the, the possibility of being able to do that for other artists is, you know, what Jade and I work for yeah Mm. yeah oh I love that so much I'm so excited to see (laughs) these new quilts they sound phenomenal yeah it's um the show's going to come back after it's been in to Norway and um Ron's got a a little um kind of smaller version of some of the quilts at season over Matariki so you get to see a little sneak peek um down at season before the the main event comes back um next year amazing Oh, that's, oh, I'm so excited. I'm selfishly very, very excited <laughs> by that. Um, I think I have, I have a couple of more questions that I'd like to ask. So thinking about all of, all of the yummy cordial that we've had already, how do we continue to foster environments that, that encourage embodied practice then as a community? What does that look like? do you think? Mm, Gosh. I mean, I think approaching it with love in your heart is the main thing. Yeah. And when you do that, everything else kind of falls into place. But also I think it's not assuming that you know the right way to show somebody else's work or to you know, support an artist, you really need to be intuitive as to picking up. And, and quite often, far out, it takes a while to get get to the point where you have a relationship where somebody's going to be open as to what they need. Yeah. And also not trying to kind of push that timeline to fit your timeline. I think that's one of the main things that um, has come out of COVID and has been a joy from COVID is that um, timelines don't actually mean anything. <laughs> yeah. We, can, um, we yeah. can change them and we can modify them. And if you if you need to take a little bit more time, then that's okay. And I, that's, I think one of the, the nicest things that have come from COVID is that we've realized that now. And I'm trying really hard to resist the, the urge of just going straight back into that. Oh, but I said I was going to do it by this day. So it has to happen by this day, you know. And having just the the um, the freedom for being responsive to the artist, to taking your time to understand what they need, and a lot of that stuff doesn't come through um, verbally or through speaking. It's just trying to pick up on on what they what they need, but ultimately getting to know them with love in your heart, and that's. That's, I think, the the best and easiest way of, yeah. of getting to that space. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Jade, do you want to respond to that? 
Um, I think I think you're right about the sort of Rahui time being a time where we were able to unlearn a whole bunch of stuff and forge new paths in the way that we want to work as artists and something that was really abundant for me when my algorithms kind of got re-indigenized during that time um, and I was able to sort of watch and listen to artists express their practice from their perspective from their homes in their own words um, in a way that I had never um, been invited into before yeah. And it's actually during that time that I met Zoe um, because we were um, part of a Matariki education program where we did some reading in the daytime and got together at night to talk about what we had read. And we did that for six weeks and it was Amazing. intensive and beautiful. And um, it was actually through that program where I was given the confidence that my perspective and my lived experiences and my imagining of being Māori is legitimate and real, yeah. a real thing, and that we need um, to sort of create more opportunities to share the multiplicities of experiences that we have within sort of one space. And we try and do that sometimes at season, and I've tried to do it through Fano Marama. Um, but Ron does it sort of in his own solo show, you know. He yeah. is able to express all these different identities that are happening together at once alongside each other, but are also united as one total entity in and of themselves as well. And I think that's just such beautiful framework for um, kind of existing in this country. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that was my big takeaway from that time and it, and it was definitely sort of my co-papa going, going forward as an artist and a, and a curator and a facilitator. But... Um, there are still so many perspectives that I haven't seen in a gallery yet and that yeah. I haven't seen in an arts program yet um, and heaps of artists that I've not met in real life that I need to. So I can get that sense, that feeling of their full horopaki, that full context around them and how I might best be able to serve them in the future. Yeah, um, thank, thank you. I think that that is um, it's interesting because eh? I do think we are moving through a, an interesting period of time in human history of going, wow, that pandemic, huh? <laughs> a whole lot of stuff was made up and we all knew it. And now we're really kind of um, grappling with like what it means to be living in somebody else's imagination. And when you are reimagining like alternative versions of things that sit outside of that imagination, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And that really excites me of being able to sit in space with my peers and my friends and go, if we are reimagining something different, what does that reimagination look like? And how do we how do we start to embed that reimagining into something bigger than ourselves? And that feels quite hopeful. And so I, I think I, I have one last question for you both, thinking about reimagining and what that may look like, is what is your big hope for <laughs> Wahine Māori as we continue to navigate into the future? Real light question. <laughs> you can take that where you want to, but I... I really love asking this question to people because I think it's just yum. I think it's a yum idea to sit in. 
I would say that we um, we try and be less competitive with each other because we are pitted up against each other in so many different ways. Um, even within group shows that maybe haven't been put together particularly that well, you know, or um, in the media or whatever it is. And you can kind of like end up with an arch enemy that you never really meant to. Because yeah. you're both working in the same medium or you're both exploring a similar concept or whatever. And I think it's down to us to make sure that we don't allow that to actually feed into our thoughts in the way that we behave with each other because we've got to show up for each other and I think Hanemua Alda once said to me don't forget how much it means when you turn up to something and honestly when when Wahine Māori turn up for me whether it's at an exhibition or you know pop and say hi at the gallery or whatever hold the baby like it means so much to me and um, I think we forget about you know that power that influence we have on each other yeah um, and how restorative that is um so I think, yeah, focusing on, on sisterhood, yeah. I think. Thank you, Jade. Gosh, it's a, a massive question and I, um, I total everything that Jade said because I know what it's like when you've got support of um, wahine who uh, appreciate what you do and, you know, are, are doing the same thing and, and how much we can grow from learning from each other and that, you know, intergenerational sharing that can happen um, with artists and with creatives is, you know, it's immense and it, 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 it fills you with confidence to put yourself into situations that um, maybe others haven't been in before. Um, I think I always, and it's, a, you know, Ron's come up in a, a lot of our korero and it, I always, I've been lucky enough to... Um, to have one of his quilts in my home and it's this quilt called The Sacred Kumara Garden and it's um, in reference to the whakatauki about kumara not sing, shouldn't sing of its own sweetness and about how we should be humble and, and all of those things and Ron said to me once, that whakatauki we need to just, sh you know, shut it down. If you're not <laughs> going to sing about how sweet you are, nobody else is and I think... You know, he, he was making that quilt for Wahine Māori because he sees, you know, the, the value that we have to give to whatever space we're in, but quite often we're not confident or uh, carrying a lot of my mai for whatever reason that we we don't step into those spaces. And so I always draw on that um, that from him as well of just like, no one's going to sing of your sweetness if you don't. So you just need to sing really loud. And I, I think that that's um, something that we as wahine need to do for ourselves, but also for each other. Absolutely. I totally agree. What's I, yours? What's your... Can you answer that yeah. question, please? Oh, 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 I've never had this question turned on me. Huh, I feel like I'm in the hot seat. Um, I think my hope is that we just lead with such a deep, 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 deep pool of abundant thinking and aroha for one another because it is really hard navigating as a, as a sister from Moana Oceania. It is really hard navigating these spaces as a, as a brown wahine. And we're so much more powerful, I think, when we're together and we're laughing and we're holding space for one another and we're showing each other care 
So I think my big, big hope is that we, yeah, just get to do that more and get to just be the fun, hilarious, vivacious, amazing, never been done before, groundbreaking <laughs> wahine that we are and we get to do it together because there's real power in sisterhood and um, it manifests in such beautiful ways and is able to, um, yeah, reimagine a different way of moving through the world together and that really excites me. Thanks, Jade, for giving me the opportunity <laughs> to answer my own question. Um, I just want to... Thank you both and acknowledge you both um, for your generous corridor today. And I really hope that you both get to have an, uh, a restful matadiki period, as does the rest, hopefully, of our wahine Māori, who are always doing the most. And I would like to acknowledge Ron and his mm -hmm. phenomenal gifts to us all and to Avery, who's been our gorgeous little noisemaker of yummy baby noises in the background today, which has been lovely to have that energy in the room. So thank you. Kia Thanks so much for listening to Creative Capital, brought to you by Te Taumata Toya Iwi. You can learn more about our mahi at www tetaumatatoyaiwi.org.nz Please also get in touch with any feedback or ideas for the series too. Namahinui.